Father, I thank you that there is a higher throne than all this world has known. Lord, it seems like nations for thousands of years have constantly been squabbling to get the highest throne. Even our own nation displacing many peoples in our advance westward. Lord, we serve a king who left his throne and gave his life for us and then was raised higher than any other name. And Lord, I thank you that we get to sit here today and worship and hear from our king. And I pray that you would bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, this morning we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, 1 and 2. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, all the way to Colossians 2, verse 5. So it's a bigger chunk than we have been um, looking at up to this point. But before I read from Colossians, what I would like to do is just read a, a really short story for you about the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter. So this short story is taken from the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is the acts of the risen Lord Jesus that he does through his church by the power of his spirit. So this is Acts 14, 19 to 22. It's just a short story. You don't have to turn there. We'll be in Colossians mostly. In this story, Paul has just finished preaching Jesus to a group of um, Gentiles in a town called Lystra. And in verse 19 of Acts chapter 14, we read this. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. That means they convinced the crowd to listen to them. And they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, that place he got stoned, and, and to Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them, remain true to the faith. Stay loving Jesus. It's kind of what he was saying to the Colossians that we looked at last week. Stay connected to Jesus. They returned to the place that they got beat up in. He got beat up in. When you stone somebody, uh, you, you pick up stones, and it's just what it sounds you, you throw stones at them until they die and they did that to paul that would hurt right great suffering i mean i guess it wouldn't really hurt if you got knocked out with the first stone um but regardless he was in great pain after and they thought he was dead but then he stood up and he went back into the city and he kept preaching jesus I want the story in your head as we start reading the words that Paul is writing now to the Colossian church. Paul is writing in jail. 
Why is he in jail? Because he was preaching Jesus. And he writes this, verse 24 of Colossians 1. It says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant, the church's servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for all those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. As we read those verses, I hope you felt how much Paul cares about the church. Everything he's going through, all his hopes and longings revolve around his love for the church of Jesus. He loves Jesus' people, and he'll do anything for their good. That's basically the main idea of this message today. It's the main idea of the passage. Paul suffers, Paul serves, and Paul speaks with joy for the sake of Christ's church. So there's three S's there. Paul suffers, serves, and speaks with joy for the sake of Christ's church. And the suffering that he's suffering, it's related to the serving and the speaking. He's suffering because he's serving them. He's suffering because he's speaking on behalf of them. That's why he got stoned. He didn't get stoned for keeping his mouth shut. He gets stoned for speaking about Jesus for the church. And that's why Paul's in jail writing this letter. He's in jail because he was speaking about Jesus and he's rejoicing, not because he likes prison or prison food or the television in prison. They didn't have those back then. That's not why Paul's rejoicing. Man, these meals are great and I love gym time. No, he's rejoicing because... It's all for Jesus, and it's brought him closer to Jesus, and it's helping the church of Jesus. So there's three points this morning, and we'll tackle one at a time. First, we'll look at Paul suffers for the church. Second, we'll see that Paul serves the church. And third, we'll see Paul speaks for the protection of the church. So the first section is in verse 24. Paul suffers for the church. Listen, if you would, as I read verse 24 again. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, 
and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking still in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So as we talked about, Paul is writing to people he's never met. He's writing to the Colossians. He's in jail. And he says, I'm glad. I'm rejoicing because I am suffering hardship for you. All the beatings and the imprisonment, the mocking and the laughter, it's for them. It's on their behalf that they would see Jesus is worth it. In the second half of verse 24, Paul unpacks this suffering for them a little more. He says it a different way. So he summarizes it in the first line of chapter, verse 24. I'm suffering on your behalf, and I rejoice. Then he says it a different way. He says in words that have made scholars about the Bible, Bible scholars scratch their heads for many years, um, he says this. He says, I fill up in my flesh, my own body, what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. And he's doing it for the sake of Christ's body, his body, which is the church. What does Paul mean here? It sounds strange and even wrong, I think, at face value, to say that something is lacking or missing from the sufferings of Jesus. Didn't Jesus suffer enough? What's missing? What's lacking from the sufferings of Jesus on the cross and in his life? What is lacking that Paul thinks he's filling up and completing in his own body? What are we to make of all of this? And I'll be really honest with you guys. I am not entirely sure, I'm not 100% sure that I have my arms around everything here that Paul's trying to communicate. But I'm going to just share with you where I'm at at this point and what I think Paul's saying. This is one of those verses in the Bible that is, you know, a lot of people disagree. They're not exactly sure. And there's several valid options. And I think they're on a spectrum of good to best. And I think my view is the best. That's why I hold it. No, I, I don't mean that in arrogance. I mean, we tend to pick views based on what we think is best, right? And this is the view that makes the most sense to me. This isn't my own personal view. There are plenty of others who, who think along these lines. So here's the first thing that I think can help us as we look at this. Um, Jesus is the head of the church. You can look back in Colossians 1 verse 18 and see that imagery. What Paul is doing here, we talked about this in our pre-sermon discretion, that Paul has this image. Um, in, in the Garden of Eden, God created Adam, a new man, right? The first man, the new man, he's Adam. And he has a head and a body. God breathes life into him. And that man sins and casts death and suffering on this whole creation. Because of the, the first man, Adam, we all die. So what do we need? We need a new man who is going to be a, be, become a new humanity, a new people, a new creation who are filled with life and don't die but are raised on the last day. So the head and the body imagery becomes for Paul 
a way of talking about the church, the new man, this new people. You guys, for whoever trusts Jesus here today, you're a new man, this new humanity. And the image that Paul uses is like a head with a body. The head is Jesus. The body of the new humanity is the church. Everybody who's connected with Jesus. You don't have different parts, really, of your head. There's one head, but you have different parts of your body. You've got your, your arm and your leg, and you're connected together as a body, and together the body is connected to the head. Our head, Jesus, has been delivered from death through resurrection. And he's done everything needed to deliver the body from sin and death and hell. Jesus, the head, has saved the body by redeeming them, by rescuing us from our sin. He paid for our sins with his body on the cross. And now he is resurrected and he is in heaven. And the body will follow. If those in the body continue to stay connected to him. We talked about that last week. What happens to a member of your body if it gets severed from your head? It will die and become lifeless and rot away. And that is the image here that Paul's using. We need to stay connected to the head if we're going to make it to the be where the head is. And where is the head? He's in heaven. He's with God. So stay connected to the head. The second thing we need to remember to understand this passage is that Jesus is the suffering servant promised by God in Isaiah 53. And as the suffering servant, Jesus suffers on behalf of God's sheep. He bears in his flesh their sins. His suffering brings them into a right relationship with God. So Jesus suffers for his people, and Jesus, uh, by his afflictions, he heals his people, God's people. So, in Colossians... Paul basically refers to himself as a suffering servant of Jesus and of Jesus' body, the church. And as a suffering servant of Jesus, Paul suffers for God's people too. And the suffering, as we'll soon see, is for their spiritual maturity. So remember, Jesus, the suffering servant, the head of the body, he suffers for his body on the cross for their sins. Paul is Christ's servant, and he's a suffering servant, just like Christ, and he's suffering for Christ's body as well, for the church. And what is he suffering for? We're going to look at it in depth as we go through this, but he is suffering for their ongoing spiritual growth so that they'll actually be able to continue in the faith and stay connected to their head in heaven jesus and be a part of the new creation so the ongoing suffering that paul is experiencing in his own flesh like getting stoned and getting beaten up it is all to help god's people mature and stay connected to jesus and that suffering that paul is going through that's what jesus didn't go through on the cross it's what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. Jesus suffered for their sins and for your sins. He paid the full price for sins. Nothing was lacking in his payment. But servants of Jesus, like Paul, they are suffering hardship, serving the church, 
They're serving for the ongoing maturity of the church. So the head has undergone suffering, but now the servants of the body on earth, teachers, Christians who are serving the body, when they go through suffering, they are completing the sufferings of the new man through Jesus. Now, if all that was like, what? I, I'm not sure I quite grasp that. Um, you're in good company. Uh, there is much discussion about this passage. But big picture here, Paul is doing for the church something that Jesus, in his earthly ministry, did not do. Paul is suffering now for their ongoing growth. And he's doing it with Jesus' strength, of course. It's not like this is disconnected from Jesus. So Paul suffers for Jesus' church. This is verse 24. And everything else in verse 25, all the way down to chapter 2, verse 3, is just helping show us what this suffering ministry of service looks like. So this is point 2. Paul serves the church. Let's look at verse 25 together now. Paul says, I have become its, the church's servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. So the first thing to see about Paul's role as a suffering servant of the church is that he's been given a commission by God. And this commission is sometimes translated a stewardship. And when you are made a steward of something, uh, you are given something to take care of and to protect and to treat well. Paul has been stewarded with something. And as a servant, he is not the master. He's the steward of the master's possessions. And what is the master who's possessed with all things given Paul? He's given him a very precious commission, a job. And what is it? Look at verse 25 to present to you the word of God in its fullness. I have a job for you, Paul. Present the word of God and don't hold anything back. The fullness of it. So the precious thing is the fullness of God's word. And what is the word? Paul expands on it in verses 26 and 27. Verse 26, the word is the mystery. Hey, I thought you were going to tell us what it is. It's a mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Ah, so it's a mystery that's going to be made known. Here, I have a secret for you. It's not a secret. It's made known. What is it? Verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this mystery is Christ, the hope of glory. Christ in them, in the Gentiles. This mystery has been made known, not just to Jews, but Gentiles, to the nations. That's the glorious, rich message that Paul has been tasked to go all over the ancient world explaining. He is charged by God to say Gentiles, like you guys, non-Jewish people, 
those who were once far, far away from the God of Israel, who lived miles and miles away from the special presence of God in the temple in Jerusalem, those Gentiles can now have Jesus himself actually dwelling in their midst, making them the temple of God himself. By the Spirit, the church is God's temple. And they have within them the Spirit-given hope that one day they will stand in the presence of Jesus, holy and blameless, clothed in the glory and honor of serving God that Adam should have been clothed in but lost when he rebelled. Jesus wins the glory of being human back for us. And because Christ is in us as Christians, we have a hope that we are going to be a part of that new glorified humanity. Now we are a part of it, and one day in its fullness when we are resurrected from the graves. As Paul says in Ephesians, the Spirit is actually our down payment, the down payment on our future inheritance. If, you, if God makes you a down payment on something, it's because he's promising to give you the full payment in the future. And that's what the Spirit is. He's, the, he's like the down payment, the seal in Ephesians chapter 1 of our future rescue when we're raised from the grave. Another aspect of Paul's ministry to the church is found in verse 28. This is how Paul serves the church. He, Paul says, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So they proclaim Jesus. So the Jesus who's in the Gentiles by the Spirit, he is the Jesus who is the content of the mystery Paul was tasked by God to talk about. Talk to them about Jesus and how his Spirit can be in them and they can be connected to God by faith, even though they once were far off. That's Paul's job. And his job is to preach this Jesus continually to God's people not stop that's what gets paul so much trouble in the book of acts he just won't stop talking about jesus and he doesn't just write you off once he's talked to you about jesus once you know he, he keeps coming back to the churches and telling them more and more about jesus why verse 28 explains here's the purpose that he has for telling colossians these colossians had heard about jesus before why is Paul telling them about Jesus again? Why do I stand up in front of you every single Sunday and talk to you about Jesus when you've already heard about Jesus? Because, verse 28, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That is why Paul proclaims Jesus, even at great personal cost. That's why he gave his life to teach Jesus. It's so that the family of Jesus might get mature in Jesus. He does it out of love, and it's hard work. Listen to 1 verse 29. To this end, Paul says, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea. That's another church. And for all who have not met me personally, my goal is that, here's, here's his goal, what is Paul trying to do? 
verse 28, it was so that I may present everyone fully mature in Christ, and now he unpacks that. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, a mystery that is known. What is that? Christ, Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So here in these few verses, Paul explains more about the ministry that God has entrusted him with. His service is hard. It's hard work. But the power in Paul strengthening him to do it is not his own power. It is the power of the Spirit working within him. That's the beautiful thing about Paul's ministry. The harder it gets, the more Jesus helps him and strengthens him. And so the harder his life got, the greater opportunity for Jesus to show up in power. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 to 10, he says, I will boast all the more gladly about the things that make me weak. Like prison makes you weak. You can't go places. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's saying a similar thing here. Now look at verse 2. See, see Paul's goal in all of this. 28, he wants everyone to be mature in Christ. And here he, he unpacks what that maturity looks like. And there's three things. First, I want you to be encouraged in heart. What does it look like to be mature in Christ? To have your heart continually encouraged. He doesn't want them scared or frightened. He doesn't want their hearts to quake at things that are out of their control. He wants them to be encouraged, to feel God's love for them through Jesus. Think of a parent here who doesn't want their kid to be scared in the night. They're not mad if their kid comes down with fears. but They want them to be free to grow and trust in the Lord that he's in control. It's going to be okay. Even if it hurts, God is in control Paul wants this for the church. I want you to be encouraged in Jesus. The second thing, he wants them to be united in love. Paul labors to keep the church from fighting each other. He wants them to love each other, to serve each other, to care for each other. We saw this when we preached through Philippians, where Paul singles out two ladies in the church. And he says, Yodia and Syntyche, I plead with you, agree in the Lord. Stop fighting. Be one. Because you are a part of the body and it's connected to the head and a body shouldn't dismember itself. Be connected. Be united. One body in the Lord. You might disagree about all sorts of things in this life. And that's okay. Be united in Jesus. Be encouraged in Jesus. Love each other because of Jesus. And third, he wants them to have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. So it's not a mystery anymore. Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, 
Paul wants the church to know Jesus. This world, this community, especially our beloved communities around here, are filled with people who have heard the name Jesus since the time they were little, but they have not a clue who he is, why he came, and what it really means to follow him. Not a clue. They think they know, so they don't ask. They don't know the mystery. Christ is a mystery to them. Friends, your job is to make known the mystery. By the way you live, by the way you speak, may they know the mystery that is Christ in you, the hope of glory that is coming your way. Honor and praise in the new creation. Paul wants the church to know Jesus, really know him. Not just cram their heads full of intellectual facts about Jesus, but to have a relationship with Jesus, to trust him in their hearts, to know that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge flow from knowing the Lord Jesus. This, this is connected to that imagery that Paul uses of a head and a body. Where is your wisdom and knowledge? Your head. How well does your feet do walking through life if they have no connection to your head not very well right stay connected to the head filled with wisdom and knowledge jesus is our head he knows best how we are to live in line with how god made us and finally in verses four and five paul shares with the believers another motive he has in telling them about all these things why is he sharing with them about his suffering for the church and his servant ministry on christ's behalf why is he doing these things this is the third point paul speaks for the protection of the church in verses four and five paul speaks for the protection of the church i'll read these verses for you this is especially verse four um i tell you this what is this all the things he's been talking about i tell you all this um so that, here's his purpose, no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see, rejoice to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So here in these verses, we see that the Apostle Paul, he doesn't want the Christians to be deceived, led astray by arguments and lines of reasoning that sound really convincing but aren't the wisdom that is found in the head in jesus he wants them to know there are no deep secrets of the christian faith that you guys have missed out on that false teachers coming into your midst might enlighten you on here's what was going on in colossians they had received jesus we'll look more at some of what the false teachers were telling but um in days to come but there was these teachers coming in and saying, hey guys, I know you know this Jesus stuff. And that's great. We like Jesus. We're all about Jesus. But there's this book that you need to read. Well, I'm making it. I, mean, I, I don't know if it was a book, but it, it, the idea is there's this thing, this secret knowledge that you need. And then one thing they were doing, they said, let, let, let me tell you this. Last night I had this vision. I was in the throne room of God and the angels were worshiping and I received revelations. And I go, okay, 
well, tell me, tell me about this. And, and his, you, you have Jesus, great, but you need more. You need plus. And Paul says, some of these guys sound really great. They might be really convincing, but you have Christ. And in Christ is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Know Christ, and you don't need visions of angels worshiping and all these other things that they were getting caught up into that we will will discuss in days to come because they do apply to us. Paul's not there with him. He says he still is rejoicing that they are holding firm at this point to the head, to Jesus. And so in conclusion, his his, uh, verse 5 actually ends just as he began the section. So look, put your finger on verse 24, and then look at verse 5 of chapter 2. Maybe they're on different pages of your Bible, but see if you can see the word that's very similar at the beginning and the end. Depending on your translation, it might be the same word. It's rejoice in verse 24, and the NIV has delight in verse 5. Rejoice, it's the same word. He starts rejoicing in his sufferings for the church, so that they would become mature. And he ends with rejoicing because they are standing firm and being mature. Okay, so this is all connected. This is, that's why we're preaching this as one section. Begins with joy, ends with joy. Paul serves and speaks and suffers with joy for the sake of Christ's church. That's the point. How can we specifically apply this to our lives today? I thought of three things that we could take away here. First, Jesus is the secret to the Christian life. Jesus is the secret to the Christian life. There is no other secret sauce that you can figure out on the internet or from some other source that will give you more to Christianity than you already have through a relationship with the Lord Jesus. If you're a Christian, then the spirit of Jesus Christ himself is in you you are the temple of the living god your body is holy it does not belong to you it belongs to jesus your whole life is becoming who you are living in line with who you are and you have christ in you the hope of glory and honor in his presence when he arrives on the last day if you have jesus you are lacking nothing that you need for growth and godliness on the last day you only need to grow deeper in your hope you don't need a special message from god to spice up your spiritual life hear god's voice speak audibly you don't need a special life-changing sermon if only you listen to the sermon your life would be changed Or this life-changing book. Just read this book and it'll fix all your problems. If you know Jesus, he is enough. Yes, all these things can be good and helpful, but only to the degree that they point us back to Jesus as signposts to Jesus. Trusting Jesus, following Jesus, obeying Jesus is Christianity. Him we proclaim, says Paul. Verse 18, we proclaim Jesus at New Creation Church. He is our Lord and our God. He is the secret to the Christian life. That's not a secret if you know him. 
Second, this morning we saw that the Apostle Paul poured out his life for others in the hope that they would grow spiritually. And so like him, I want to serve you as your pastor. I know Carl feels the same. Pray for you regularly. Speak to you with the ultimate aim that you grow and mature in your relationship with the Lord Jesus. That's really my job as a pastor. That's why God has called me, to be a servant of the word about Jesus, no matter what it might cost in days to come, as the word of God becomes increasingly unpopular in our secular culture, as obeying Jesus becomes harder, and staying faithful to his word. And so I ask that you would pray for me, that God would help me to proclaim Jesus faithfully, admonishing, teaching with all the wisdom found in Jesus so that we would all grow up into maturity. Pray also for me that I would not rely on my own strength, but on the strength of the Lord Jesus because he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But when I am weak, then I am strong because the power of Christ rests on me. This passage isn't just for pastors and ministry leaders. Paul's sharing this for the benefit of all Christians because the reality is all of us are to grow, to be like Jesus. And because Jesus is the chief servant of the body serving us with his life, we are all called by the Lord to labor and serve each other that we would build each other up in our maturity in our faith in Jesus. We're all in this together as a family. Let's grow in Christ together, which leads to the final application that I want to leave you with. Make maturity, Christian maturity, your goal in life. And make your goal helping others to mature. If you're sitting here and you, you claim to be a Christian, which I think most of you do, um, Know this, Jesus' goal in saving you was to change you, to transform you into a new man, a new woman, to make you look more and more like how God called you to be, which is to be like Jesus, to restore to you the beauty of humanity that Adam lost when he rebelled against God. Jesus wants you to learn to love like he does. To speak truth and only truth like he does. To be wise with your words and actions like him. Jesus wants you to enjoy a close relationship with the Father like he does. That's what Christian maturity is. It's growing up in Jesus Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus and they're available to us through knowing Jesus, to know his word, to know his will, to know him in prayer, that you can talk to him constantly at any time and he hears you, to know his power when you're feeling so weak and sinful, to know his forgiveness and his love and his grace, to know that his heart towards you has not changed to be stable in his love when your heart is just racked with fear to run to him, to know his forgiveness 
and grow in confidence in his grace. We must never think, though, that we have arrived until we are raised. We talked about this when we preached Philippians. Paul himself says to the Philippians, I have not, I don't consider that I myself have attained perfection yet. Paul links perfection, being perfect, with the resurrection in Philippians chapter 1 and 2. We will be perfect when we are raised. But one thing I do, says Paul, I press on. Forgetting what is behind, I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us be pressing on, dear brothers and sisters, pressing on towards the upward call of growth in godliness, in knowing the love of Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your love for us, and I ask that you would help us, help our hearts to long to just know Christ better. Knowing you better is maturing in Christ, loving more like you, speaking like you. Help me to lead in this. And Lord, I just pray that you would Stir all our hearts this morning with love for Jesus. Lord, if there is anyone here who, um, who does not know the mystery of Christ, but thinks they do, I pray that you would convince them they don't know Jesus so that they might turn to him truly. Wake up and come alive. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.